Well, basically, what we take away from it is that uh, we all have to become vegetarians in order to show our devotion to God. Let's pray. No, it's, it's more than that, isn't it? But all the vegetarians in the room are getting a little excited. I mean, if you're honest, you're like, all right, finally, we can talk about what it means to be a vegetarian. We get it, vegetarians. It's, it's the healthier option, and now you can interpret visions and dreams. We're proud of you. No, that, that's not what this is about. It's, it's more than that. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Life Church Canton Podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whether you're driving to work or school or whatever you may be doing this morning or whenever you're listening to this podcast, thank you for tuning in. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the church. Um, we're right in the middle of our series called Daniel, What Are You Afraid Of? Uh, this week is week number two of that series. Jared's bringing us a great message. Um, but there's also a lot of other things going on that aren't happening on the weekend. I just spent uh, several hours um, this Sunday afternoon filming and helping set up for VBS. That's happening all this week. Uh, Sarah and Tori and her team do a great job uh, getting ready for that. Um, just seeing all the stuff set up. I wish I was a kid again. Uh, it's going to be an exciting week. Um, and uh, there's a lot that's happening not on the weekend at Life Church, and we'd love for you to know more about it. You can go to the website and check some more of that stuff out. But in the meantime, here's Jared with week two of our series in Daniel. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you're watching online, watching on Facebook, maybe just type in the comment section, good morning, so we can know you're with us as well. Uh, it is so good to be together. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are in a series where we're talking about fear. And, and I would just ask you right now, what are some of the fears that you're experiencing? Even as we sang that song just a moment ago, maybe, we, maybe you feel like you're in a fire. Maybe you feel like you're trapped. What are you afraid of within that moment? And do you have another in the fire? Do you have Jesus standing there next to you, uh, giving you a way out, giving you a vision of joy ahead? Uh, we hope that you have been uh, enjoying this series, but also that you've been challenged by it so far. We just started last week. Nathan gave a powerful and challenging message. If you didn't get a chance to be here or to listen to it, you can go back and watch that message or listen to it. And we, uh, we just believe that you're going to be challenged and encouraged by that message as well. Uh, as we've been talking about this idea of fear and looking at the person of Daniel, I tried to think of some current circumstances around me that would make me think of this idea of fear, and it made me think of this particular scenario that uh, we are experiencing right now. So we have just moved from Minnesota. Now we're in the process of looking for a house, and we think we found the right one, but there's a waiting period. And so currently we're staying with a family, some friends of ours that we know. They've been extremely generous with us. Uh, and the reason I say they've been extremely generous is because we have three young kids and they have three young kids. But on top of that, we have an 85-pound Bernie Doodle, a dog, uh, that is lovable. She's like two and a half years old. She is just a big, giant puppy. And uh, it, she, she's active. Let's just put it that way. She's active. Um, now, that's fun and all for us because we're dog people. The family that we're staying with, um, they did 
let's just say they don't love dogs. They're not like super excited about dogs, and so, uh, but they've been very gracious in this process. And so we tried to keep her locked in her kennel from time to time to make sure that the family can get situated. And one of the nights uh, that we were uh, together, they were getting their kids ready for bed, and so they were all upstairs, and I th- so I thought this was my opportunity to play with my dog, let her get some energy out, and so I was having fun with my phone as well. You know, it's got that slow-mo video effect on it, and so I took a little video of my dog playing fetch with me, and I just had this idea of, you know what, I wonder what people feel like when they see an image like this of a giant puppy coming toward them. Now, how many of you in the room, when this is coming toward you, you're like, oh yeah, I love it. Raise your hand. Yeah, comment on Facebook. Yeah, I love dogs. Absolutely. Hate cats. No, we don't need to talk about that. Um, I, I love this moment. Like in this moment, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for my dog to just tackle me and to lick me. I have no problem with that. Even if they've been licking something that I don't know where that's been, you know, I don't even care. I just, I love the love that the dogs bring in my life. It's, uh, it's the closest thing to Jesus because dogs spelled backward is God. You've probably heard that before. Anyway, the, the family that we're staying with, they're not, you know, like super fans of moments like this. And specifically, they have a four and a half year old daughter. Uh, who is terrified of dogs. And even though she's lovable and doesn't bite or anything like that, she's just absolutely terrified of a moment like this. And so I thought about this idea of this four-year-old, you know, we're talking about the series and fear and how we're supposed to overcome our fears. And one of the things that we learn about fear is that the way to overcome it is just to confront it. So I thought about holding this four-year-old girl on my lap while this dog is running toward her. Do you think that would work? No, I'm not going to do that. She's actually in the back of the room right now. I'm not going to draw attention to her, even though I just did. Uh, anyway, this idea of overcoming fear and how we respond to fear made me think of some other things, that we respond to fear in really one of two ways. We either choose flight or fight. You know this. It's a, it's a biological human condition that we respond to fear really in one of two ways, either fight or flight. This four-year-old girl uh, is terrified of this dog, and so what do you think she chooses when a moment like this happens? Flight. She, she runs away, she screams, she cries, she wants her mom, she wants to run away. Uh, the other option is, is fight. We, we stand up and we, we beef up and we try to get strong and, and fight back. There's uh, an example of this uh, in, a, in the news fairly recently, there was a young man by the name of Travis Kaufman who encountered a mountain lion while he is hiking. Now, how many of you, if you saw a mountain lion across from you, you would choose flight? Be honest, raise your hand. I would. I would need a change of pants after a moment like that, okay? But Travis Kaufman chooses fight chooses fight. He fights back this mountain lion, and unfortunately for the mountain lion, the lion loses, and Travis Kaufman wins. But he doesn't, he doesn't fight without some scars and some, some damage to himself. You can see the scars around his face. He, he goes down, the mountain lion goes down, but not without some danger, some pain involved. This is how we choose to respond to the threats in our lives. Through our fear, we deal with it, whether it's flight or fight. And the goal of that is simply to preserve ourselves. We want to stay alive. We talk about this idea of self-preservation. We want to protect ourselves. But as I mentioned, it's, it's a human condition or a biological condition to respond in one of two ways, fight or flight. It's, it's natural. It's deeply ingrained within our brains uh, to respond in such a way. And, and this is great. It's actually helpful and even healthy 
in a more hunter-gatherer society, and that's important, but when the situations, when the threats that we encounter are a little bit more complex, it's not necessarily a mountain lion chasing us. Uh, it gets a little bit more complex. But the thing is, is regardless of the threats that come our way and we respond with fear, regardless, we still operate within a fight or flight kind of response. And this, this happens in a variety of different everyday kinds of scenarios. Maybe it's within your marriage. Maybe in your marriage you feel like your spouse can be a threat at times. Maybe in an argument you're not sure how to respond to it. Maybe you're fearful and you respond with either fighting or flighting, just avoiding it altogether. Or maybe as parents, maybe some of your greatest fears is that your kids won't grow up to be successful. Or maybe, maybe you don't like yourself and so you don't want your kids to grow up to be like you. And so you respond to them and their behavior with a sense of fight or flight. And it's all in an effort to preserve yourself or your reputation or just protect yourself. Or maybe it's a more spiritual kind of fear. Maybe, maybe your circumstances are difficult and you're wondering, God, where are you in this? And so there's fear involved in that. And you begin to wonder, like, God, are you even there anymore? Do you even love me? Do you even care about my situation? And so maybe it causes you to get angry at God, to fight God, or maybe just run away from the faith altogether. Just forget it. Church is a waste of time. The Bible's a waste of time. God is a waste of time because it's not protecting me. It's not preserving me. We deal with these complex threats in a lot of different ways, whether it's fight or flight. I want to look at an ancient complex threat as we've been talking about Daniel and see some of the complex threats that come his way and see how he responds to what might be perceived as a very fearful situation. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 8 to 21. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you're new to church, this is maybe your first time here, or you're watching online and you don't have a Bible near you, it's going to be on the screens, and so you can follow along in that way. Uh, but we do encourage you, if you have a Bible, please bring it. Uh, we like to get into this and to understand it and maybe even bring a pen and write in there and write different notes about what God is teaching us in these moments. Just to give you a little bit of context before I get into the story that we're about to read, if you were here last week, you heard just a little bit about the story and what's going on in this historical uh, event of what takes place with Daniel and his Israelite brothers and sisters if they have been taken into exile, which is just a fancy word for slavery. Uh, they've been brought into another empire, the Babylonian Empire, as slaves. They're taken away from their homeland and now they're in a place that's unfamiliar, it's unsafe, it's scary. They're being forced to do things that go against their belief system, uh, their belief in Yahweh. They've been told essentially that their God lost because they've been taken over. And so now they're being encouraged to assimilate into this other way of living, this pagan way of living within this Babylonian empire. And so it's scary and it's unfamiliar. And this is where the story picks up. Uh, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, what we already find out is that uh, they're being forced to change their names, but we find out last week that Daniel rejects that assimilation, and now another thing is about to happen. Verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself, now in this case, by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission, per, per, sorry, permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. 
Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. What in the world are we supposed to take away from a story like this? It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Talking about food and diet it makes you smarter. Well, basically, what we take away from it is that uh, we all have to become vegetarians in order to show our devotion to God. Let's pray. <laughs> no, it's, it's more than that, isn't it? But all the vegetarians in the room are getting a little excited. I mean, if you're honest, you're like, all right, finally, we can talk about what it means to be a vegetarian. We get it, vegetarians. It's, it's the healthier option, and now you can interpret visions and dreams. We're proud of you. <laughs> no, that, that's not what this is about. It's, it's more than that. You probably know that. It's more than just food. But, but some of us might be, if we're a little bit newer to the Bible or maybe newer to church, uh, we might look at something like this and kind of roll our eyes and say, really? Like, why is this story in here? Or why are we even talking about this? Is that, I mean, is, there's so much bigger fish to fry out in the world. Why would we talk about this? It's just food, Daniel. I mean, just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, I get the name thing, but really, you can't just eat the food and wine given to you by the king? Is it that big of a deal? Here's the thing that we need to understand about the ancient culture, is that everything is connected, or interconnected, I might even say. So, so what you eat actually does matter. It says something greater about who you are because the physical is connected to the spiritual, is connected to the emotional, is connected to the political, is connected to the you fill in the blank. And so what you eat says something about who you are and the God that you worship, but also what you believe politically and economically. It's all interwoven. It does matter. It is a big deal what Daniel is encountering in this moment. It does matter. Everything is interconnected, and so actually, this is a major threat to Daniel and the Israelite people that he would be forced to take on this other way of living, this other lifestyle, including his diet. It's a major threat. Now again, I, I understand for us in a modern context, it's a little bit harder for us to relate to that, and so I want to kind of break it down just a little bit more. Now, uh, Daniel has been brought into unfamiliar territory. He is in a foreign empire, okay? 
You and I probably don't understand what it feels like to be in a foreign empire necessarily, but we all do understand what it's like to be in an unfamiliar situation or to experience something unfamiliar. All of us can relate to that. On one hand, Daniel is now forced to work for this oppressive empire. You and I maybe can't relate to that, but we do know what it's like to have the pressures on us to have to comply to either people or situations that we might not necessarily agree with. That's a challenge for us. That's a threat to us at times, maybe in our workspaces, maybe at home, maybe in churches even. Uh, On one hand, Daniel is now as he's in this empire and brought the, uh, this threat has been brought to him, this really is a life or death situation. What he is doing could ultimately cost him his life. You and I have maybe not faced life and death ultimatums in our life, but all of us know what it's like to have to make life-altering decisions, to make decisions that affect the tra- trajectory of our lives and the overall outcomes of our lives, whether it's through our marriage or school choices or job choices or in our parenting. All of those things are challenging to us. They change our lives. All of these situations could be perceived as threats to us, and they can produce a certain level of fear and cause us to either fight or flight in those situations. But I would ask a deeper question, like what is at the core of those fears? If we draw the, all the way to the end conclusion, what is, that, what is that root core of the fear? What are we truly afraid of? And we arrive and response, uh, uh, we arrive at those conclusions and respond to those conclusions in a variety of different ways based on what's going on within us emotionally or physically or even mentally. But ultimately what I wanna ask is if we take those fears and we put them up against the gospel, are they compatible? Because what we find in the gospel and the good news of Jesus, one of the gospel messages of Jesus is do not worry. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear because these things dominate the minds of sinful people. But your heavenly father knows what you need. If you worry, if you worry and worry and worry, can it add a single day to your life? Is it going to add anything to your life? See, what Jesus is doing is ultimately appealing to their greatest fear, which is the greatest fear across the world, the number one fear, which is death. We're all afraid to die. Jesus appeals to their greatest fear and says, is it going to add a single day to your life? No, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his way of life, and everything else will be added unto you. This is the gospel message of Jesus. This is how we confront our fear. That's easier said than done. So how do we actually do that? How does that actually play out? Well, how does Daniel respond to his fear? Well, we've been given two choices, biologically speaking. We have either fight or flight. Well, let's go through the possibilities here. If Daniel were to choose flight, he would simply just assimilate and say, you know what, this is too hard. Let's forget it. I'll just, I'll, I'll assimilate into their culture. You know what? God knows my heart anyway. And you know what? I don't want to be known for the guy who died because he turned down a bacon cheeseburger. If you get kosher Jewish food laws, you would understand why that's a joke. You don't have to laugh now because that would be awkward. He doesn't choose that option. He doesn't choose flight. He chooses fight maybe. Well, the fight option would look a little bit more like him sort of standing up. I stand up for what I believe in and just say, no, no. 
I'm not going to eat your food. And you know what? On top of that, I'm not going to learn your language. I'm not going to assimilate into your literature and your training. I'm just not going to take it at all. In fact, he might even rile up a revolution and get his, his brothers along with him and start a fight and actually fight back against the attendant, the chief of staff, and maybe even the king and start a revolution. But even as we say that, it sounds a little bit ridiculous because this is absolutely an impossible task to fight back against one of the most militaristic and powerful empires of the ancient world. I thought about a, a modern-day illustration that would help us to be able to connect with that a little bit more. It'd be like asking the Detroit Lions to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and you and I know that's just never going to happen. It's an unrealistic task. Whoop, I'm in foreign territory here. So that's the fight option. But he doesn't choose that either, does he? How is that possible? I thought we were only given two options for how to respond to our fears, fight or flight. He doesn't choose those. He chooses a third way. It's not fight, it's not flight, but faith. He chooses faith. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's not passive, but it's also not aggressive, overly aggressive. If you think about it, it's really a peaceful protest. See, in the face of fear, we tend to default to self-preservation. I gotta look out for number one. I gotta only protect myself, and we either choose fighting or flighting, but Daniel chooses self-discipline by faithing. <laughs> I know that's bad grammar, but go with me on it. Not fight, not flight, but faith. Now hold on a second, I thought we were only given two options. I thought in our biological response to fear that we only had two options of fighting or flighting. You're telling me there's a third way. Yeah. Yeah, can I, can I get actually really nerdy with you for just a second? I promise it'll make sense. It'll, it'll be actually really fascinating uh, given what we're talking about today. So what I want to do is I want to talk about brain science, God, and you and how those are all interwoven together. See, there are these particular neuroscientists who found that you could actually shut off the fight-or-flight mechanism in the brain through an outside source through an outside source. Now, it's important to note that these particular neuroscientists aren't necessarily followers of Jesus or believe in God or believe in a higher power even. They don't have any kind of agenda, but what they did was they studied various forms of religious groups and even specific groups of Christians. And what they found is that these groups of people who had a belief in a kind of God that was compassionate, grace-filled, loving, cared about the human condition, and not only a belief in God, but an active reflection and devotional life connected to this God that you could actually shut down or at least greatly reduce the fight or flight mechanism in the brain and open up other pathways that lead to empathy and joy and mindfulness towards those around you and thereby greatly reducing the fear that only operates within the limits of the fight or flight mechanism in the brain. It increased their level of faith in the God that they believed in Okay, what does this have to do with Daniel? Well, if we continue to read in the story of Daniel, what we find is that he had an incredibly mature, developed prayer life. A prayer life, okay. 
Well, when you and I think about prayer, maybe we think about taking maybe a minute or 30 seconds and talking to God or talking at God. But it's important that we understand that prayer in a Middle Eastern ancient context is so much broader and richer than that. It did involve talking, yes, but it also involved a great level of reflection and solitude and silence and thinking and meditative practice. That's why the psalmists talk about this idea of, God, I meditate on your word day and night. I think upon it. I dwell upon it. Also, we get this psalm that says to be still and know that I am God. Is it possible that because of Daniel's meditative, reflective, devotional life toward God, that he was actually able to tap into neuroscience and shut off the fight-or-flight mechanism in his brain and thereby increase his faith in God, no matter the circumstances? And here's another cool thing. It's also been well-researched that healthy brain development is actually connected to a good, healthy diet. I just threw you a bone there, vegetarians, okay? That's not what this is about, but just understand that a healthy diet is connected to healthy brain development. We just read a story about food choices. What if it's actually not just an ancient idea that all of these areas of our lives are interconnected? What if that actually is relevant to today in a modern context? And then there's one more element that's at play here. See, what these neuroscientists, these same neuroscientists found was that if there was an opposite outcome, if there was an opposite belief in a God that was filled with wrath and anger and hate and destruction and is distant and disinterested in the human condition, that it actually increased the fight-or-flight mechanism in the brain and therefore increased somebody's fear, which is why we still have religious groups of people who hold up signs on street corners that say, God hates you fill in the blank. They only know how to operate within the limits of fear and therefore project that fear onto other people as well. See, there's great power and great danger in our view towards God and how that impacts our inner life and therefore our outer life as well and how we respond to the threats that come our way. Daniel has tapped into something to increase his faith? Is this something that you and I can tap into as well? But see, it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't stop with just brain science, God, and you. There's another element here. It's brain science, God, and y'all. Everybody say y'all. We can say that. We're in southern Michigan, so it's okay, right? Or you can say youans if you need to say that, but it's brain science, God, and y'all. See, there's a community aspect to this. There's a, a, a power of with. There's a solidarity in this. We don't do this thing alone. And if, it's really subtle as we look into this story, but I want to point you to verse 12 again. Daniel says this. He says, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the rest. Who is he talking about? He's talking about not only himself, but Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as well. See, he's got his band of brothers that are along with him, taking on this task, risking their lives, in a sense, to tap into something in such a way where they can still continue to honor God, but also continue this ministry that God has called them to within an empire that is unfamiliar and filled with all kinds of threats that could produce fear, and yet they live their lives in such a way that produces great faith. 
See, it's important to talk about being surrounded by community because oftentimes in the face of fear and the, the response of self-preservation is that it's only about us. And then we tend to isolate ourselves from the rest of the people around us, even the people that we love the most in some cases. And what happens is the fight or flight mechanism comes up and if we fight people, we get divisive and we fight against people and we create enemies or we choose the flight option where we just simply run away and hide and avoid conflict altogether in all kinds of relationships, in our marriage, in our work, at school, wherever it might be. But God's calling us to something different. He's calling us to increase our community. And ultimately what we do is we, we choose faith by choosing to dwell on God, reflect on the character of God, and we surround ourselves with others who are willing to do the same. I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What are your biggest fears right now, in this moment? I think it helps actually to just spend a minute reflecting on that. Maybe if it even helps you to just close your eyes and take a deep breath and ask yourself the question, the hard question, what am I truly afraid of? See, the reality is, is most of us have been operating within the fight or flight limitations our entire lives and we don't even know it. And it comes up in every situation, every kind of thing that we have to respond to all present a different level of potentially fear within us. And we respond with either fighting or flighting. Did you know that there's a third way? And I get it. I get that we wouldn't because as we talked about last week, Pastor Nathan talked about this idea that our name in our culture is consumer. It's all about you. And so when you think about your fears, what's at the core of your fear? How much of it is it just about you and preserving you and yourself? And I get it, that's the air we breathe, that's the culture that we consume. I was just at the Novi Mall the other day and I walked in and there was a big sign that said self-control is overrated. So shop, <laughs> shop until you don't have any money and then shop some more, just consume more. This is the language and the air that we breathe and speak over and over. So I get it. We've been told it is all about you. But there's a third way. There's a third way. God has provided a third way. Now, how does that actually play out in our everyday lives? I think it's important to think about this in our internal life and in big sort of conceptual ideas, but I think it's also to get very practical and think about this in everyday kinds of situations as well. So I want to give you kind of a hypothetical situation, sort of role play for you, and this could, this could really match with any situation, whether it's with a spouse or with a boss or with a teacher at school or something like that, but it would go something like this. So the person enters into a room or wherever it is that you're at and says, hey, did you do that thing that I asked you to do two weeks ago? And all of a sudden, the inner voice comes in, and all this happens within like five seconds. You hear this, hmm, I don't think I like that tone. And then your voice begins to keep on going, that inner voice, and it's maybe even a robotic voice, like must preserve self. That was super nerdy. I'm not going to do that the next service. 
And all, all of this dialogue goes on in our heads of like, okay, what's the right answer? I'm afraid, uh, maybe I'm afraid of looking wrong or incompetent. I'm afraid of losing the upper hand in this relationship and I wanna win, I wanna come out on top. And so maybe we choose the flight option. And we say, okay, I'm just gonna kind of avoid and I'm gonna make up excuses and I'm gonna crawl into the fetal position. I'm gonna say, you know what? Uh, uh, there's been a lot going on right now. I've been really busy. I can't, it's really hard for me to focus. And I go to this church and the pastor is saying we all have to become vegetarians to show our devotion to God. Maybe, maybe we do that, maybe we respond in flight, we make up excuses, we blame others, or maybe we choose fight. We puff up a little bit, we get strong, we start pointing, we say, you know what, we, we bring it back to them and we say, you, did you do that thing that I asked you to do six months ago? And, and how come you get to do this and X, Y, and Z and yada, 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 you get the idea. I'm just improvising, I have no idea how these conversations go because I'm not uh, dealing with this myself, of course, I'm a pastor, I don't deal with these, no. It's a total lie. This is everyday kinds of situations. Flight, or fight, is there a third way? See, our, our faith isn't just this hour that takes place on a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon. Our faith isn't just this moment where we pray for maybe 10 seconds before a meal. Our faith isn't just the conversation that we have with somebody where we're just talking about Jesus. Our faith is interwoven into every aspect of our lives. And we can choose faith when moments come that we perceive as threats and we turn them around and we shut off the fight or flight mechanism and we open up the pathways in our brain that increase love and empathy and joy and what we can do instead is respond in such a way to say, we're not passive, we're not aggressive, but to simply say, you know what, I'm sorry. I, no, I didn't. I didn't do that thing that you asked me to do two weeks ago. I'm so sorry, but I, I, I will, and I'm going to. In fact, you know what? I'm actually going to write it in my calendar because I tend to forget things, so I'll write it in. Tomorrow, I've got a window. I'm going to do that thing, and then I'll, I'll come back, and I'll tell you when I'm, when I'm done with that. And again, I'm so sorry that I didn't do that. Can you imagine what our culture would look like if we weren't passive, we weren't aggressive, but we found a third way to live out our faith, to be humble, to be transparent, to be honest, to do something hard that actually might make us look less than, but it's not about that because Jesus calls us to be humble because these, the ultimate epitome of going into that place of humility all the way to the cross. There's a third way. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of losing the upper hand or are you afraid of looking incompetent when perceived threats come your way? See, according to neuroscience even, we need an outside source if we're gonna choose faith. God has given us that source. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is constantly choosing the third way all throughout his ministry. He has a way of saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's an outside source, but yet in the same breath, he says to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because his kingdom, his outside source, is going to come in and invade and renew all creation. He's not passive, he's not aggressive. In fact, it cost him his life. He was willing to die for this faith, but he was raised to new life to show us that death is not the end. It doesn't need to be your greatest fear, which is why he has the ability and even the audacity to say, do not worry, because it's not gonna add a single day to your life. And so your self-preservation, all your efforts to just save yourself and save your reputation is one giant waste of time. 
You don't need to worry about death because death is not the end. It's not the end. He is calling us to great and new life. We put our hope instead in him. And what he says about faith is that it's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of the things that we cannot yet see. So it feels a little unfamiliar at times, but it's a risk, and we step out in that faith. And that, that verse isn't from me. That comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 goes throughout all of these heroes of faith, and it talks about one particular hero who shuts the mouths of lions. Now, it doesn't explicitly say Daniel, but you and I know that that's who we're talking about here. And then it goes on to say in chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by these great heroes of faith, this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. In other words, our desire to go straight to the fight or flight mechanism, let us shut that down, open up the other areas of our brain, and then let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, reflecting on him and his character and meditating on his word day and night. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the one that's writing the story. And he goes on to say that because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. See, it's still hard. It's still risky. But he disregards its shame. And now he is seated in a place of honor besides God's throne. He enters into a royal court just like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah do because of their ability to have faith and to do hard things. Jesus does the same. Think of all of the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. It's not about preserving yourself. It's about looking to him and increasing your faith and surrounding yourself in community community of people who are willing to do the same. I'm going to invite you to stand if you are able. I I want to ask you to, again, close your eyes and reflect on this. Do you have access to that outside source that God has provided? Do you look to Jesus? Do you reflect on him? Are your eyes fixed on him? Because he is the outside source that can greatly reduce and even shut down the fears that we have in our lives. If you have never called out to that third source, that third way, Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we have been running a race and we're tired and trying to make it in life, trying to achieve a certain status, trying to look a certain way. And whenever fears come our way, we either choose fighting or flighting, but God, we're tired, we're exhausted, and we need a new way. We need a third way. And so if there's anybody in this room or watching online who would say, I need a third way, I need to look to you, Jesus. We pray that we would turn away from the sin that trips us up and look to you, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And then God, I also pray for those of us who have been faithful to you, but maybe don't surround ourselves in community. I pray that you would call us to a greater level of solidarity and community, that we would be with one another, that we would do hard things together and embrace the risks that come our way. 
God, we need you. We desperately need you. And so we call out to you now. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcan.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.